is this gratefulness and the singing songs together to our Lord, for our Lord, um, refreshing, refreshing. So to say that I am thankful or grateful for my salvation, which is my topic, just doesn't seem to convey the depths of the reality as to what that really means. It is so much more. What have I been saved from is the question. The fierce wrath of a just, holy, righteous, all-powerful God. I've been saved from that. Saved from the wrath of God by the grace and mercy of God. By his grace, he granted me mercy. Jesus absorbed the wrath of the Father in place of me. And the Father has clothed me in the righteousness of his Son and goes so far as to call me his child. He does the saving. It is his work. It is not mine. It is his. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of uh, Isaiah chapter 53. A very familiar passage. Just going to read a couple. I just want us to be reminded of, of who is responsible and who is taking the wrath, who's taking the punishment that was due me. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are all healed. He, he, he. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to comprehend. It really is. I want to read Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, and I could read and read and read um, because the, the, his word is powerful. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, and you're going to hear this pronoun of he and him referring to our God, our Christ, our Savior, over and over and over. So listen for it. It'll be quite obvious. I can't not emphasize it when I read it. So Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God. There's a sermon right there for you. An apostle by the will of God. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intentions of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view of an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we obtain an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory, in him you are also, after listening to this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, 
to the praise of his glory. It is all for his glory, and it all for his glory alone. We are chosen by God the Father, redeemed by God the Son, indwelled by God the Spirit, and this verse that we see every week, from him, through him, and to him, are all things, and they're all for his glory. My only contribution to my salvation was my sin. I brought nothing to the equation but my sin. There is no room for me to boast. He sought me, he bought me with his redeeming blood. He has brought me from death to life. He has brought me from darkness to light. He has brought me from hopelessness to confidence. He has brought me from lost to found. I was once blind and now I see. I was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and by scripture alone. There is no room for me to boast. And as he does the saving, he also does the keeping. It is not my work, but his. If I was responsible for the saving, I would also be responsible for the keeping. And of both, I would surely fail. But thanks be to God that he holds me in the grip of his almighty hand. His grip, his power. And I do want to read a couple of verses regarding that. Uh, in the book of John Chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. John chapter 10, verse 27. We are held in his grip and his power in the hand of God Almighty. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. <laughs> Being held in this, this mighty, all-powerful grip of a mighty, all-powerful, sovereign God. <sighs> and there is no going back. I cannot go back to being a slave to sin because he has ransomed me. I have been bought with a price. I now belong to him. I am his. He is mine. How could I possibly be unatoned for or unredeemed, unransomed, unjustified, unpurchased, unadopted, unchosen, unsaved, unmade alive, if that's a term? Because I am now held in the grip, and I'm held by his power, not my own, by his power. It is not my work, but it is his. There is no room for me to boast. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, just real quick, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Indescribable gift. So, <laughs> knowing that it is he who does the saving... And it is he who does the keeping. This allows me and my loved ones to have a fullness of hope in my eternal state. I can rest my head at night, every night, knowing, knowing, knowing that Jesus Christ's substitutionary sacrifice was absolutely sufficient to save me from the wrath of the Father. When I die, my loved ones will not be left to mourn without hope. I'm a child of the living God. I am his, and he is mine. So to say that I am thankful or grateful for my salvation just doesn't seem to convey the depths of the reality as to what that really means. It is so much more. I am his, and he is mine. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, for saving my soul. And thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation, for giving to me your great salvation. God, I am your child, called by you, adopted by you, brought into the family, your family, by you. 
And oh God, the gratefulness, the thankfulness is beyond words that we have. And I do pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. So can you hear me now? So today I will be talking about gratitude for God's word, thankfulness for God's word. But I'm going to start with a little information that might strike you as strange at first. When I was younger, I wanted to do some mountaineering. I always hiked a lot and even climbed Long's Peak in Colorado with a summit height of 14,200 feet. It is an experience I will cherish the rest of my life. Then there's Mount Everest. Its summit reaches 29,031.69 feet. Since 1953, a Approximately 49,000 summit attempts have been made, with 6,500 successful ascents. If you want to do this on the cheap, it will cost you $20,000. And the full-on private guided attempt will set you back $200,000. The serious person will train for years and may not succeed or could lose their life in the pursuit of this challenge. So what does any of this have to do with gratitude for the Bible, God's Word? This book is like the Everest of books. It is more than a book. It contains the Word of God. It is the manner in which our God and Creator of all things, has chosen to reveal himself to his creation. It contains all we need to know, not what we want to know, but all we need to know about God's intention for salvation and the life we as believers will experience in his presence after this life on earth has come to an end. I want to read a few verses to make us think about the Word of God and His revelation to us about Himself. I'm, to, I'm going to go through these rather quickly and would prefer that you listen rather than try to follow along with my stumbling voice. I will give the scriptural references so you may look them up later if you would like to. These will all be familiar to you. Isaiah 53 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Romans 3, 23-24 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 4-7 but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Romans 8, 19-22 The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole creation is looking for regeneration. Think about that. The whole creation. Revelation 19 through 22. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the babe born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling swaddling clothing because there was no room for him in the inn. Just as in his human life, He had no real home during his earthly ministry. John 14, 1 through 10. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you with among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus is preparing a place for you, and you should find consolation in knowing heaven will be your everlasting place of rest and that Christ is the way, the only way. Finally, I will be looking at Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. There will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Isn't this a picture of restoration? Isn't this what all creation is waiting for with eager anticipation? No more pain, tears, or suffering. The creation living as God intends it to be in his presence. What an absolute wonder given the conditions of our sin-cursed world at this time. Aren't we, all believers, looking for the second coming of our Lord? So how should we regard this book, the Word of God? Shouldn't we be diving into this, soaking in the revelation of our God with an eager expectation of preparing for an epic journey? Shouldn't we be searching out the truths and information and how we are to live this life in obedience to our great God? Aren't we, in a sense, in training for our future, which encompasses all eternity? Are we preparing for our own personal ascent onto and into God's holy kingdom? What gratitude we should have for this book revealing the very nature of our maker. So I hope you see how this is the Everest of books. There is no other like it. We should be training and learning for the epic journey that as our eternal life after this mere wisp of earthly life we are experiencing now. The neat thing is, you don't have to pack clothes, boots, crampons, or an ice axe. You don't have to worry about falling into a crevasse or worry about frostbite. What you, de- what you do need is to submit yourself to this word of God and keep your opinion where it doesn't interfere with his revelation to his creation. I hope this may have made you consider the precious contents of the Bible and will spur you on to more reading and study of his word for your epic eternal journey. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, that you would provide the book, the book of your word to us, a revelation of yourself. It's literally a guidebook of who we are to be and who you are. And as believers, whose we are. We are blood-bought. A substitutionary death was paid for our sins. And my Lord and my God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And your steadfast love to those whom you call your own. Heirs according to to the promises of your word. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Son, my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's the dentist position here. Um, I'm, I, good morning. I'm just so glad to be here. The, uh, I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving for the church, and specifically this church, PCBC, Pacific Coast Bible Church, the Post Office Church, um, whatever, um, this church. And first of all, what's the difference between Thanksgiving and gratefulness? Gratitude and thankfulness. We use them interchangeably, but there's subtle differences. Have you ever thought about that? Um, too often thank you is kind of a just polite behavior, um, an automatic reply. I'll be at a restaurant and the waitress will bring coffee and I'll say thank you. Just automatic doesn't really mean anything. Um, gratitude is thank you not only from our mouths but from our hearts. A good definition of gratitude that I learned earlier was making known to God and others in what way they have benefited my life. So it's just coming from your heart. Um, A pastor I knew says, once said, uh, the essence of the Christian life is gratitude. And I wrote that down. Um, In the Old Testament, worship was very often joyful, uh, 
um, expressive, full of gratitude. So, um, look at Psalm, Psalm 122.1. Just the simplest thing. Memorize this one. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Um, is that your heart? How do you feel Sunday mornings? Do you look forward to Sundays? I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 100. It's familiar as well. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Are you catching the joy, the excitement about being in church? Um, <clears throat> know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. There is gratefulness here about just being in the Lord's house. Um, you know what? This happens in the New Testament too. If you think about Paul, he would go into a town and through preaching would lead some people to the Lord. They'd have a small group of people. He would form them into a church, maybe assign some leaders, and then check up on them with letters, with visits, and there was joy in that. I'm going to read from the first chapter of a lot of the letters to these young churches. The first chapter, um, and just... Try and get a picture of how Paul felt about his churches and how we should feel about ours. Um, he's bragging on them a little bit. I brag about our church. Um, Romans 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. 1 Corinthians, I'm just going book by book. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, and 5. Thank, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus so that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Ephesians 1, 15, and 16. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Just think of Paul, just loving these guys, and just joyful that these churches are there. Uh, moving on to Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you. Can you feel joy in that? in view of your preparation in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. When we hear these things, we should take it personally, but we also realize he's talking to a church. He's talking to this kind of a group. Um, like it or not, we're lumped together. You know, uh, Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 1. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, knowing, brethren beloved by God and his choice of you. One more. Second Thessalonians. Okay, he's, writing, he's writing these letters, and he knows them, they know him, and he's, he's being honest in how he feels. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of us toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God in your, 
for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Um, most of us, just by the time your hair is gray, you've been through a number of churches. You just kind of um, have memories of all of them. There's different strengths, different weaknesses in the church. But I honestly feel that God almost said, well, because of your service in these other churches, your reward is you get to come here. Um, I have so much gratitude and joy being here. Um, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a reward. This is a unique community. Um, if you look at that mission board, I've never been to a church with this much emphasis on missions um, or giving as high a percentage as we give for there. Um, sometimes the elders will just hear about a need. And by the time you can respond, someone else has already been there. This is an amazing church, a very giving church. And um, again, for me, it's a reward to be here. Um, I'm going to go over Psalm 122.1 because you're probably working on memorizing that now. Um, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And how do you feel Sunday mornings? Are you looking forward to just being here in this building with these people? And um, what's fun, we run into each other at Fred Meyer's a lot. And it's just a joy. I don't know what it is. There's sort of a celebration um, when we see each other. So let's pray. And just give thanks for God's universal church, for God's local embodiment of that church. And see how we can help. We can just shake hands and cheer up other people. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for the blessing of the local church, Lord. We are a body. Uh, we're unified. We have different functions. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. But Lord, I, I pray that we will feel, strongly feel, a part of a body that um, we would feel as one, one church, not as lone Christians. Lord, again, I thank you for so many things. And um, we just give all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's put this at the Roger spot. <laughs> oh, shut it off. Right. Well, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that this thankfulness thing that we have started for our salvation, for the word, for the church, and what I have is thankfulness for prayer. I have been thinking about this presentation for some time now, and I rewrote it last night. I just rewrote it sitting there. <laughs> so I have no idea how this is going to come out. Are you thankful that we have the opportunity to sit and speak to our Heavenly Father through this thing that we call prayer. Are you thankful for that? Are you grateful that we have that avenue to speak to our Heavenly Father? It's a spiritual communion with God Almighty, and it is spiritual because God is a spirit. 
And the only ones that get to do that are those that have been born again, as Link presented to us, that root of salvation, how you get there. Those are the only people that have the ability to commune with a holy God. Because we have had our spirit brought back to life. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. One of the things that I find so amazing about prayer is that we come to him with our requests, our supplications, the things that are on our heart, the things that we need, all of that. And the Bible tells us that he knows exactly what we need before we ever say it and even before we're thinking about it. He knows what we need. So why in the world would God want us to pray? Are you thinking about that for a minute? Why in the world would God want us to pray about our needs and all of those sorts of things when he knows already what we need? First of all, we're commanded to pray. Matthew 6, 7 says, when you pray, he is going into the disciples' prayer. When you pray. There is no if you pray, it's when you pray. Jesus is assuming that you will pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Sam, do you pray without ceasing? Is your whole attitude all day long built on the fact that I am in communion with my Father, my Heavenly Father? Are you guys... Aware that you are to pray without ceasing? My, oh, my. So, Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidently into the presence of Almighty God. The NLT says, boldly into the throne of grace. Link sort of laid it out for us. This is an almighty, holy God. And he says, come in confidently into the throne room of grace. That you may receive grace and mercy in your time of need. My dad was one of those people that I never really felt comfortable walking, interrupting him, asking him things, talking to him. Because he was... He was either working on something or he was reading and you just didn't interrupt him. But the word is telling us to come confidently into the throne room of grace that you might receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Are you thankful that that avenue is open that you can approach the throne room of grace 
with confidence, boldly even. In the disciples' prayer, well, before we get there, whenever I read this particular passage, I'm reminded of Isaiah when he went into the throne room of grace. He didn't just try to get under the carpet. He was trying to dig underneath the whole foundation of that palace because of the holiness of Almighty God. But yet, he still invites us in because our sins have been forgiven. We are in Christ. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and we are invited into his presence. A holy father that knows exactly what we need. In John chapter si- or Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching the, the disciples how to pray. I love the way it begins because it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed. Be your name. I would encourage every one of us, as we start to enter that throne room of grace, we would recognize that this is a holy God and be thankful that he has invited us in this heavenly, all-powerful, mighty God through the shed blood of Christ has given us the ability to approach him and present him with our needs and our wants, even our wants. you have any wants that you throw at the throne room of grace? Do you think your heavenly father is happy that you're there? The whole point of us praying is to let him know that we recognize we so desperately need him for our sustenance, for everything about our lives. We need him. And we can enter the throne room of grace because he has granted us that avenue through the shed blood of his son. Father, we are again struck by the mercy and grace you have extended us through prayer, that we can commune with our Heavenly Father and do it in a way that brings honor to you and great hope to us and great confidence, as Link said, that our salvation is guaranteed and that we will be with him for eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you want the mic down? <laughs> Somewhere between the Roger and Dennis spot. If you would, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where are we at up there? Lunch is served at noon. Just kidding. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he was committed to us, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
So then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, my little piece to this puzzle today is gratitude for our commission. Gratitude for our commission. I was 17 when it was becoming more and more really, really clear that the Lord does not want me to pursue law enforcement, but to pursue pastoral ministry. And I, it wasn't a hard thing. It was a joyful thing. It was, okay, Lord, then that's, that's um, what you have for me. That's, that's what you have graciously called me to go and do. So I went to Bible school. Uh, while at Bible school, I, I met Amber where we were working together um, and eventually fell in love, got married. I wrapped up Bible school and we uh, applied for village missions. Got accepted to VM, went to candidate school together, uh, raised some support, and at a good seasoned 21 years old, I was a new dad, a new husband, and a new pastor. And in that frame of mind, I felt so prepared. Uh, And so I got this. And now if you were to ask me at that time, are you going to trust in the Lord to sustain you? Of course I would have said that. But I know in my heart of hearts, my hope to some extent, a large extent at that time, was that I was prepared. I had a good pastor, I had a great church, godly parents, um, and multiple churches behind us, did an internship at another VM field, and just all of this building up Bible school, and I felt like, okay, I am ready. I am ready. I am ready. Um, and then we went, and guess what I found out? I was not ready, in the least. Yeah, I, I, I had a somewhat of a grasp of the word. The calling was not questioned in the sense of, should I not be doing this? I knew it's what God wanted me to do. But my, um, my uh, hope and my sustaining, I was looking to me for i got to tell you, one struggle that is so hard for me is I wish at times I could preach with, with no emotion because it's hard to communicate because I just tear up so easily and, and those emotions rise to the surface and it drives me crazy because then you got snot running everywhere and it just becomes this horrible thing. <clears throat> it's very not fun with a mustache, just difficult. So I struggle with that. So bear with me here. Um, God in his grace let us go and to some extent taste failure. And what's interesting to me is that come this spring, uh, we'll mark 18 years that we uh, were accepted to VM. And in that 18 years, I have, I have grown more and more convinced. The Lord, let me get my bearings here before I say this. The Lord does not call us or commission us because he needs us. He calls us and commissions us because he loves us. And so, if you would, look at Matthew 28. Matthew 
this is our Lord's statement to his disciples, and that carries all the way down to you and to I. If you look at verse 16 of Matthew 28, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." If you remove 18 from 19 and 20, you have removed all of the power source of our commission. Uh, I heard one pastor say, if you only go and you don't go therefore, you've missed the point of the text. We're going, and that going is not overseas necessarily, maybe for you, but that going is while you're going. There's no verb there. The verb in the passage is make disciples. So there's no command to go or to leave in the text. But therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Guys, we do this in light of, or in fact of, because of, and in the, in the power of, Jesus Christ has authority over all things. Heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And in light of that, go. Do you see how freeing that is? That it's not about you being ready. It's not about you having the, all the preparation. Not that there's anything wrong with preparation. It's needed. I get it. I've fallen back on some of that preparation over the years. But the power source is not that. The power source is Christ working through us. And I will tell you, over the last 18 years, I am more thoroughly convinced right now that the Lord chose me to be, to serve in this capacity because of my weakness. He didn't go for a good one that could play for his team. He picked the worst one to show his power. He loves to do that. God loves that. The very fact I own a library is ridiculous. As somebody who despised school, hated to read, I'll do anything. I'll mow lawns all day if it means I don't have to touch a book. But I fell head over heels for Jesus Christ. And there's his revelation. Well, I guess I got to learn to read better and start doing stuff more gooder in order to know who this Jesus is. And so my point is not pastoral ministry. My point is the fact he uses all believers to accomplish his purpose. You, beloved, are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You are who the Lord has redeemed And also, he has, I love that phrase, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a gift. The fact that you're given this gift to go herald that message, to make disciples, to be not only redeemed, but then the Lord says, okay, but that which you've tasted, go and herald, go and pursue, go instruct, go bless people with what you have. I've given you the food, but go tell others where the food's at. He doesn't do that because he needs you. He does not need you. He does that because he loves you. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. God's not begging and pleading with us to, to be in the game. You get the blessing of being in the game. And you say, you know, it's so interesting. If you track through your Bible, you will see so often when the Lord calls somebody, the first thing they tell him is why they can't do it. He goes to Jeremiah, I'm too young. He goes to Solomon, I'm too young. He goes to um, Ananias to go to Paul, he, and Ananias tells God about, all about Paul. It, it, yeah. <clears throat> 
And, and Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody look down in your youthfulness, but show yourself an example in love and good works. Over and over and over, Moses, I want you to go say, let my people go. Moses says, Lord, I can't talk. Well, who made your mouth? And I don't think that's changed that much. Because here you are, here I am, you're commissioned, and the first thing we want to tell the Lord is why I can't. Well, beloved, can I remind you the point of the story is to show that you can't, that's why he does through you? It's not about God's power eventually making us powerful. It's about us seeing ourselves more and more and more weak and dependent. The older I get and the longer I serve in pastoral ministry, I go home thinking, I don't know why he would ever let me do this. And it's not a false humility. I mean that before God, before the Lord, before you as my church body. I don't know why he would let me be a part of this. But he does. Why would he let you herald that message? Why would he let you do it? Why would he, why would he take you, Mark? Why would he take you, Raj? Roger always picks on us, so I'm going to pick on Raj now. Why, why would he select us? Why, is God, why does he do that? And then he says, now, I want you to go be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You're a representative of the Lord Jesus. Why on earth would he want Dan Mason to represent him? But that is God's design, beloved. And the commission of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, is not, it's not negotiable for you and for me. Either you're a poor ambassador or a growing, brighter, brighter and brighter ambassador. But there's no question of whether you are. Please notice in all these passages, this does not speak to whether you are. No, you are. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what is kind of rolling around up in my head a bit. This is not a task. It's a privilege. And often when we think of evangelism or sharing with our neighbors uh, the message of Christ or being faithful to, to herald that, it often we talk about difficulties in evangelism and it sounds so task-oriented where the scripture speaks of it as privilege. You're allowed to. God has so graciously and lovingly allowed you to be his ambassador. You get to go represent him. You get to. And so when the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, for the, both first to the Jew and to the Greek, he, he's, of course we're not ashamed. There should be an of course in all that. Of course we would share Christ. Of course we'd herald this message. What else do you do with gloriously great news? And so I am freshly reminded the Lord doesn't use the ones that are the bright, shiny ones that stand out as if they're better in some way. No, he, he uses a bunch of weak people that he saved by grace. And here's the main crescendo to that. Because it has nothing to do with your glory. It was never intended for your glory. Your heart right now is not pumping for your glory. You, you exist. The reason you're alive is for the glory of another. And so as we go and serve him, I am convinced, and I've said this so many times from this pulpit, I'll say it again, a sign of a maturing Christian is they have a growing love to see God glorified and them diminished. You can, you can just fade, and Christ is brighter, and nobody remembers you. But, oh, they just are enthralled with the Son of God. And so I thank God this morning, and I encourage you with me to thank the Lord afresh. God, thank you for this commission. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you for so kindly not only rescuing me, but then letting me be a fellow rescuer. 
to go into this dirty world and share the one saving message to all of creation. So let me pray. And then we got 17 more elders that are going to come up if you're visiting this. No, I'm just... <laughs>